I was just sitting there, it was about three degrees, it was in the winter, so I wasn't really expecting much. And then this flight of mute swans, I could hear them, hear the wings. Fantastic sound, and I've never heard, I've never heard that sound before. And then I got into wing sounds, and that's one of the things I really like now. So now I'm You're cracking putting, me up. I'm sorry. I'm putting contact mics on my bird feeders just for the wing sounds because it's such a great sound. We're going to be using those. <laughs> I'm, I'm expecting you to illustrate yourself with all the sounds that are, that you. Try and find them. This, and find th no, totally. We need to have <laughs> yeah. some of these sounds. Hello, my name is Kashka and welcome to Plant Voices podcast from Tapewood Community Garden where we tell local stories about gardening, food, nature and climate change. One of the positive things that seems to have come out of the depths of lockdown earlier this year is um, the drop in man-made noise and uh, people actually noticing nature sounds around them. So. Um, Today I asked John, who helps with our podcast editing, to have a chat about listening to the world around us uh, and his lockdown project. One of your very many interests is recording sounds of nature. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us more about this? Yeah, um, I've been recording nature for a long time, since I was about 17 or 18. I used to go out with a cassette, a little cassette player and just walk around and do things called sound walks. And a sound walk is basically what it says. You're walking around a place and you capture what's going on. Uh, I started, the first one I did was actually in a city. It was in Prague. And when I got it back, it was just so much better than uh, photographs that I thought it really sort of sparked my interest. And from that, I went into recording more natural things. Uh, and I wish I kept a lot of them because... I know now when I go back to the same locations, the sounds have radically changed because this was, you're talking about um, 40 years ago, <laughs> uh, and so much has been lost. Uh, there didn't used to be so many uh, monoculture forests. So in terms of soundscape, can you, do you remember what, what sounds were there <clears throat> 40 years ago that you're not hearing um, Yes, you hear, days? yes, definitely. It, um, now when I go into a forest, more often than not, unless it's in spring, um, you will hear something occasionally. Quite often it'll just be tits or small, small birds. It used to be you go into a forest and you'd literally hear rustling leaves, you'd hear much more birdsong, much more calling, and just generally a more sort of balanced noise. Now, quite, it's quite depressing sometimes. When I even went to Rannoch Moor last year, and even there, there's now a big quarry near there. So all you can hear is the sounds of the quarry, and occasionally you hear the birds. Well, that's really different to what it used to be. One of my great, uh, one of my favorite um, sound recorders is a guy called Bernie Krauts, and Bernie Krauts um, has been studying this since the 70s, and he's recorded the same spot every year and you get things called spectrograms which show you the uh, density of sound and um, he made an art piece of it and each year the density has just gone down very obviously so you know I mean it goes without saying with uh, the more human disruption there is the less 
natural sound there is. Humans are the only, as far as I know, the only uh, things that can create chaotic noise. So like chaotic noise, like you go into a cafe, you've got a coffee machine, you've got music playing, you've got people talking. They're all, they don't relate to each other. A plane fly overhead, uh, roadworks outside, it's chaos. Whereas uh, natural sounds are far more ordered. I'll give you an example of this. In uh, America, they have uh, toads called spadefoot toads. And spadefoot toads all gather around lakes and they all call together. And eventually, uh, after about 40 minutes, they're actually in rhythm with each other. And the reason, one of the reasons they do this, one is for mating and the other reason is for protection because the sound they make can't be pinpointed by the prey, uh, by the predator, but, um, so an owl or a fox can't make out the sound exactly where it's coming from, so leave them alone. And then um, the US Air Force built an air base four and a half miles away and flew very low, practicing how to fly low, and that caused the frog, uh, the toes to stop calling. Once the planes had gone over, they started calling again, but it takes them so long to get into rhythm that they're being picked off. There's yeah. another example where uh, a, a logging company said they were going to only take out certain trees rather than do a complete deforestation. And that was recorded before they did it and after they did it. And again, the sound was completely different. Sound recording is now one of the key tools in the biodiversity research. Is it? Yes, so um, this kind of stuff that's not only sort of people who are interested in the sounds around them, but actual scientists are recording mm -hmm. soundscapes and exactly, were they actually discovering exactly what you just described, yeah. that sound profile of a place completely changes, even if the change in the landscape might not be that visible, like, you know, taking out an odd tree here mm -hmm. and there, mm -hmm. um, it can affect the wildlife so yeah. profoundly. And it's not just birds, it's insects as oh, well. It's everything, yeah. 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 So interesting, interesting, um, and quite depressing, really, isn't it? Um, well, it is, but I think when you when you when you sort of think about that that this this is this is where we at, and um, it really does reflect that crisis in biodiversity. I was reading, and uh, there's another study that came out uh, just this week, I think. There's a sixty eight percent decline in uh, animal populations across the world since 1970s. So this is, I was born in early 1970s. Mm. This is within my lifespan. Yeah, and that surely has to be uh, reflected in everything. So. I think one of the, biodiversity is definitely it. And I think that's probably one thing which people still don't realise. I think it's a lot to do with education. I think, I don't think people necessarily realise that a very small thing can create a, a very big result. You know, I mean, um, it's not just, the big things which are going to stop climate damage. Mm. It's very small things. And I think quite often people think, well, I'm powerless, I, you know, I just have to leave it up to governments or NGOs or whatever. But I think if people knew little facts like that, maybe it would, would help, you know. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to go back a little bit um, to more pleasurable times yes, when you were yeah. enjoying listening to, the, <laughs> to nature and stuff yeah. that you recorded. I don't know if you remember, you know, how your mind attracted you to, to recording the sounds. I mean, I've always been into recording. I've, I, my job was a recording engineer uh, and a musician. I'm, I've always liked recording. 
Um, one of the things I particularly liked when, when we were recording on tape-based systems before digital was with, with editing tapes, you would make so many mistakes that you'd have all these sort of happy accidents. And that's what I liked about Natural World. You can walk into a forest expecting to, I don't know, record some robins or something, and a bird of prey will come over you, you just didn't expect it was going to be there. And it's all these little happy accidents. That's what first attracted me to it. And then I just got more into it. I got more into the, I like the solitude. And it's very frustrating. I think the, the, the professionals who do the, the big David Attenborough say they'll, they'll probably get 1% of usable, usable footage. So, you know, for every 100 hours, you get one hour. You w worked on some nature documentary sounds, didn't you? Uh, I work, yes, I worked with a guy called Chris Watson, who, um, who worked with on uh, Blue Planet and also did the recording for the sounds of Chernobyl. Uh, oh, right. So what, uh, did you, what did you record for that? We were, we were recording the sea. We were in Orkney. We were just recording the sea in various locations to be played back in the cathedral there as part of the festival. It was a great experience. I mean, it was just amazing. It, it's not all natural sound for a start, which I didn't realise. There's lots of trickery. There's lots of... Uh, <laughs> like when he, when he records the sea, he record it from six locations and then superimpose them and create this... So it's not necessarily what you think it is. Oh, that's uh, interesting, yeah. But it sounds amazing. And um, just the patience, you know, just the fact that we'd be there, we'd, be, we'd turn up at a location, we want to see some guillemots, and there weren't any guillemots. And we thought, well, we'll just stay here. We were about six in the morning. It was nearly eight o'clock in the evening before, you know, they turned up. <laughs> but it's just that part of it is, is another, another fascinating thing. It's... it's it's just sort of zenning out, it's meditation as well as uh, the appreciation of what's around you. And, um, and for some reason I think I, I get much more out of listening to something than seeing it. So I had a, if I had a photograph of Guillemot, I don't think it would have brought back so much as actually suddenly being, you know, having the sound all around you and mm -hmm. you're, back, you're back where you were. So that was really, the fascination was really, um, I suppose just being able to put myself back I, lived, I grew up in London, so I didn't get much nature, really. And it's just nice to go out to a place and, and just be back there. And uh, I kind of went from there. Uh, working with Chris Watson also introduced me to surround sound, which is what I'm working with now. It's called, well, it's called ambisonic sound. It's invented in the 70s by a guy called Michael Gerson. But it involved too much computer processing power, so it never really took off. Uh, but now, obviously, it's cheap and people are getting back into it. So basically, it, it, it's, it's very simplest form. It's four microphones. Uh, you record one sound of the whole environment, and then one the front and back, one the left and right. And, but the main thing is, is the other one is up and down, so you're in a sphere of sound. So in the old days, you used to get uh, quadraphonic sound, which was a flat plane, whereas now you can have sound from all around. It's used a lot in games, actually. Now, uh, for virtual reality, but there are there are universities, particularly Birmingham and Manchester, where they have things called loudspeaker orchestras. So there, you, you know, they you you can either listen to natural sounds or they can do art sounds or whatever. But you're in this incredible realistic space. So it's basically um, make makes you feel like you're in 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 real setting Absolutely. with real sounds surrounding yeah. you. When it gets to that, particularly when it gets to that. When you have good quality speakers and yeah, yeah set up, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you can that do it on a smaller scale and you can do it in headphones. 
Have you done any sort of nature sounds just for yourself? Uh, yeah, well, I did a, a small exhibition in um, in Burnham Arts Institute actually, with an ambisonic setup, uh, which ran for about an hour of different locations in Scotland. Oh wow, and, uh, that's amazing! Yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. I mean, I'd quite like to do that again. Maybe, uh, maybe around here. Tapeboard sounds. That that sounds yeah, very yeah. exciting. Maybe do it in Alaric or something. Mm. Was there a theme to that exhibition? That what? Well, I suppose it was kind of. It's like a day. But your day starts in a different place in the evening. So you'd be just sort of travelling around Scotland. And, uh, you know. Brilliant. It can transport immediately yeah, to different locations. Yeah, That's... Yeah. And people really liked it, actually. I was, I was pleased because it, it's, it's, it's kind of demanding because you, you don't have to sit there for the whole thing. Obviously, you can just dip into it. But a lot of people did. And it was quite it was sort of gratifying in a way because uh, a lot of people just... I don't know. I don't, I don't think people really... Pre-Covid, I don't think people really were that too bothered, you know, about the sounds around them. They've been masked by so many things. Mm, you know? mm. Well, certainly um, these days, um, I was just going to say that this is one way you can bring nature or distant locations to people yeah, in a much yeah. more realistic way. And yeah. if you combine it with, with virtual reality, you, you yeah. might end up with quite interesting and you, experiences. I mean, and, you can, you know, yeah. I mean, it can be entertaining or very educational. I mean, if you, you, mm. can, you, know, you, can, you could go back in time and say, you know, this is what, this is how it used to sound, and now this is how it sounds. And yeah, and get depressed. And get depressed um, yeah. Let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you sort of have any you know, any um, favourite moment or adventure of recording in the wild? You say that it's most of the time it's quite a lonely thing uh, and quite meditative. Is there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's been a few. I mean, there's uh, having said it's lonely. I did really enjoy uh, the experience in Orkney because there were two of us. Um, so you could share the excitement or the boredom of uh, <laughs> waiting for something to happen. Um, I think that's probably my favourite. The other times, I mean, last year I went to, uh, I can't remember the name of the lock, I think it was Lynn, Lynn Rathen Lock. Anyway, it's in Angus somewhere. I was just sitting there, it was about three degrees, it was in the winter, so I wasn't really expecting much. And then this flight of mute swans, I could hear them, hear the wings. And it took ages for them to go on, and it was just fantastic sound. And I've never heard, I've never heard that sound before. And then I got into wing sounds, and that's one of the things I really like now. So now I'm sort cracking of putting, me up, I'm sorry. I'm putting contact mics on my bird feeders just for the wing sounds, because it's such a great sound. Um, you know. We're going to be using those on this. <laughs> I'm, I'm expecting you to illustrate yourself. The thing about sound is, you know, if, if you haven't heard it, if I show you a picture of a swan, or if I show you a picture of an animal you've never seen before, a Weddell seal, okay? A Weddell seal is a seal which lives in, I think it's in the Arctic. It's the, one of the few animals that um, can make sound underwater. Obviously, it's whales and things like that. But the sounds it makes are, there, it's, it's, there's so many sounds, there's so many different syllables that sound like, Synthesizers, drums, it's the most incredible sound, okay? So if I showed you a picture of a seal, of that little seal, you think, oh, it's a seal. And that would be it. But if I said, listen to this, you'd have no idea what it was. And Probably some experimental music that yeah, my yeah, husband really, plays to it me. It really okay, sounds right. like, a, like electronic music. It's incredible. <laughs> so all this is going on, you know.
Yeah, that, that, yeah that, that's a good point. And yeah. we do not listen. Um, yeah. yeah, we do not listen, tend to stop and listen and distinguish the different sounds. Yeah. And I think that our brains, we need to tune out most of the sounds, I think. Well, we do, and that's one yeah. of the things that um, when I first started working with ambisonics, because it's so precise, uh, there's no filtration. So, so every sound you hear, and when you get it, you think, you listen, you go out and record something, you're really excited, and you get it back and you think, oh, this sounds terrible, because you can hear cars from miles away, which you just obviously filter out, they're not important. Mm, mm. And planes and things, you know, so. No, I, I think we, we sort of touched on the lockdown thing a little mm. bit, but, um, you know, during lockdown, you were, we were all forced to stay closer to home, and yourself included. Um, do you have a sort of striking or memorable thing that you noticed about changes in sounds in Tayport oh, yeah. in, yes. in particular? The airport. the airport was closed down. That was the main thing. It was just a joy because I, I like the fact that we've got a small airport near here because it's sort of like living in the 1930s because you very rarely get a jet, it's just these little planes going. It was quite sort of romantic. But when they stop, it was amazing. The two things I really noticed was, was that and the brightness of colour from the lack of pollution which happened very quickly. We were out in the garden, we said, what is it? It's just like everything's enhanced. It came at a great time but as well for, for sound because it came just at the time of uh, the Dawn Chorus, March. It's perfect. So, uh, so that was just great. And uh, I suppose that was really the main thing. It was just the lack of cars and aeroplanes. It was fantastic. On the news all the time, they were playing people's recordings of birdsong. You know, people just really latched onto it. Yeah, I think that's what yeah. people really noticed. And yeah. I've heard... Uh, discussions with people um, that the bird song was so much louder, and I'm not sure if it was louder. It was just, it was just less hear. other <laughs> stuff. Yeah, it was less masked. Yeah. 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 Did you do any recordings? I did. I did a lot in the garden. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to go out. Oh, I did actually. I recorded the seals out on the point when the the cubs are there. It's just a sort of howling, wailing sound. You can just imagine sort of sailors in the whatever, 17th century coming through the fog and hearing that thing. The Skilkies? Selkies. Selkies. Selkies, Selkies. Yeah. You just imagine these mythical beasts. Um, it's a fantastic sound. Really. Very sort of human cry, wail type yeah, thing. Yeah, um, yeah, like babies. Yeah, yeah. You decided to do a project, sound-based project uh, during lockdown. Tell us more about that. Well, one of my favourite pieces of music, if you can call it that, is a piece by John Cage, and it's called Four Minutes and 33 Seconds. And it is primarily silent, so nothing gets played, even though it's in three movements. Um, but obviously there isn't such a thing as silence to, to people anyway, or anything living, because their bodies make noise. What happened was John Cage went into a, a thing called an echoic chamber, which is a totally silent room where you test equipment. And he, he was in there and he realised that very soon... Uh, his head was just full of all these noises. Besides tinnitus, he could hear his blood, he could hear his heart beating, and it gave him the idea uh, to do this. So basically, whenever this piece is performed, wherever, whatever the uh, environment is, becomes the music. And that, I was sitting outside in there and I was thinking, that'd be a great idea for a podcast, because now we're in this situation, we're sort of being faced with almost silence, and it's... To some people, it's quite distressing. They're not used to it, or it's exciting, or whatever. 
So I started a Facebook page and invited people to send in a, a recording lasting performance in 33 seconds and called it the Great John Cage Project. And amazingly got uh, people sending stuff in from all over the world, you know, from, from Australia, everywhere, America, God, I can't even remember, Singapore, just all this stuff was coming in. I got 80, 85 recordings and then it kind of petered off, which was a shame because I think what happened was the, the whole... Uh, when things were eased in different countries, people started to think, you know... Yeah, they um, probably stopped having time to sort of sit yeah, down and yeah. contemplate. But it's something that I hope to revive in the winter. But it was, mm. it was, it was great, and uh, I'm archiving them all and giving them to the British Sound Library, so... That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so what kind of recordings were coming in? To, to... Well, to start with, it was all gardens. And you got to the point, I hear another blackbird... <laughs> It was the blackbird time. Yes, it really. was the blackbird time. Blackbirds and thrushes mostly, and then people got more imaginative. You know, and it was good because it's great to get. I mean, it's lovely to hear all the natural sounds, and don't get me wrong. Uh, and it's nice to hear people in their garden in something like you know, Czechoslovakia because the, the they have different birds and things. So it's nice, and and it was good and, and interesting. But then um, my very very favourite was from. I got friendly with this guy who lived in uh, Belgrade. He was just sending me stuff in every week. And it was really nice, actually, because he'd never done it before. And during the eight weeks that the programme lasted, he, he went from his, using his phone to actually buying stuff, and now he's, a, you know, he's doing it sort of full-time. Um, but one of the things he sent me was, uh, you know, we did the clapping mm. on a Wednesday. Well, in, in Belgrade, they did the clapping as well. He had a flat in the balcony over a busy road, and there was no traffic, so that was really good. And they clap for, whatever, five minutes. Uh, but at the end of the five minutes, the clapping turns to protest against the government. They, you hear the transition and it just goes from this sort of, this massive cacophony of sound. It's a brilliant recording, it really is. So it's a really sort of nice bit of journalism. There's no, uh, it's weird because there's no um, natural sounds. It's just all human sounds. But, uh, but it's still so. humans communicating with others and it's much easier, as you said, what used to be. Mm. Well, normally it is a busy street, but you could yeah, hear yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah. That's quite an interesting commentary yeah. on whether we hear each other as much Definitely. if there is that, that much chaos in the world around us. I have another yeah. similar one. Well, it's, it's kind of similar. It's, it's really nice, which is um, from Tuscany, I think, somewhere in Italy. And it's just people talking, all at balconies, and they're just kind of talking across the balcony because there's no traffic noise and they, you know, they're socially distancing, and it's just kind of gentle chatting. So it sounds like both of the favourite recordings are really community coming they are, together and, and communicating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the natural recordings were were great, but there's something about the human element which made it, I don't know, it just sort of piqued my interest. And there were, the, it just sounds like there were stories embedded in some of them as well, historical yeah. moments or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, which obviously, because as, as humans, we're much more interested in human history <laughs> rather than birds courting each other <laughs> yeah, in the that's morning. Right, that's right, yeah. My last favourite one was brilliant because uh, this woman in South Africa was out in her backyard and it was com pretty much completely silent except for a few frogs and crickets and things. Uh, and over the over the four minutes, it started to rain, and so it started off very quietly. All the humans were being quiet because they were locked in, and then rain got louder and louder and louder. And it was like things in reverse, you know. It was like nature 
taking over and making this great sound. That's another great recording. So where can people listen to it? It's on Anchor. You can search for it, yeah. It's uh, the Great John Cage Project in Lockdown. We'll put the link in the description. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you listen to the world a lot. Um, and would you recommend people do this more often? And what is it that, you know, yeah, that definitely. would get out of it? Definitely, yeah. There's a thing, thing called deep listening invented by an Argentinian, I think, called Pauline Oliveras. And the point of deep listening is whatever, wherever you are, whatever your environment, you don't have to be in a forest, you can just be in the middle of town. If you can, just stop and listen and just try and listen to the smallest sound and try and ignore the others. And you'll be amazed what you hear. So just try and listen in a different way. You can either listen or you can hear. If you're just hearing stuff, you're not really experiencing the sound. If you actually listen to something, it means you're concentrating on that sound rather than just you know, absorbing everything that's going on. Uh, I would definitely, definitely say it's really worth it. I remember last year we had this big storm. I was in the, in the harbour, I was recording the, the boats in the harbour and thinking that would be a great sound. And it was, it was you know, it was a brilliant sound. But then the train from across the Tay went by. <laughs> and I thought, oh, really, that was a great sound as well. And there's all these little things. And then because it was so windy, um, seagulls were being blown all over the place. And they're, they're, so you're getting a Doppler effect, like you know, when an ambulance goes by. You know, I could have been sitting here thinking, oh, what a horrible day. But actually, if you just go out there, you'd be amazed what you hear. And uh, it's definitely worth doing. And it's quite addictive. Now, sort of final big question, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, the silence of deep lockdown is now quickly fading away yeah. from memory, really, because yeah. cars yeah, are yeah. back, everything's back. Yeah. When you're thinking about recovery from the impacts of lockdown in terms of economic recovery or people's contact recovery yeah. and all that kind of stuff, what is it that you think might be worth keeping from that time for the future? And how, how do we bounce back better? You have to be really careful to remember exactly what it was like, because... I remember a time where it was, it seemed very compassionate. People were very interested in, in their surroundings all of a sudden. I think just, it was just this weird rules, like, you know, you, had, you could have an hour of exercise. Well, I would never think of having an hour of exercise, but when I was told I could have an hour of exercise, I actually went out and walked for an hour. And I think lots of people did. And uh, I think you just have to remember that you could slow down a bit. I think life slowed down. It seemed far less competitive and nature became much more vital in a way and more interesting. My biggest memory of, of those times is suddenly felt like we lived in a community and people who didn't know you would be quite happy to sort of help you out or talk to you or, or you know, pass the time of day. And I think it was that decentralisation, that's why I hope we, we can try and retain that and with that also the, the um, interest in our surroundings. I think that's a good point to hang on to, yeah. And hopefully the recordings from lockdown. I mean, that yeah, I mean, might be one way of remembering what it was like, um, hopefully. Yeah. yeah, I think so. And, and, and I do think it's, you know, a lot of it is the human element of those recordings, just things like the clapping and stuff like that. Mm. You know, it's, um, yeah. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Plant Voices podcast. For more Tapeworth Community Garden stories and for information on how to get involved, visit our website on www.tapeworthgarden.org.